At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Said amen and amen. Let's give God praise this morning. Come on. Yeah. Pastor Devonasan, we got to see uh, somebody get baptized. Hallelujah. And now we get to hear the word of truth. Would you open your Bibles together with me to Revelation chapter 20? Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to pick up in verse 7 right where we left off last week. So as I've already mentioned, my name's Ryan. I have the privilege of serving in our missions department as well as being a member of uh, our teaching team. And I'm grateful to be here uh, to support uh, Pastor Jeff and Sarah as they're on sabbatical. I pray that you're praying for them daily, that they would return refreshed and renewed and encouraged with even more energy to chase down the gospel in Jesus' name. I want to start with a question, and the question is uh, this. Who gets the last word? A couple wives laughed, I think. They were like looking next to them, and they're like, what's the, what's the answer? Who are you going to say gets the last word, right? Now, you know, in movies, we see people get the last word. We see numerous characters throughout stories get the last word. We see sports teams feel like they're getting the last word, right? I'm a basketball fan, and it looks like the Denver Nuggets are about to have the last word in the NBA Finals, but it's not over yet. Uh, But who gets the last word? That's something so important to think about. And it's not just the last word until the next thing pops up. This is the last, last word, the final last word. And as we continue in this sermon series that we're going to be in uh, for eight weeks through the last four chapters in the book of Revelation, we see that God gets the last word. God gets the last final word. The final authority on everything is his word speaking over all of creation. How many of you want to praise God for that? That God gets the last word. Not your hurts, not your habits, not your hangups, not your brokenness. God gets the last word. And in that last word, he's making all things new. And that's what this sermon series has been titled, All Things New, because that's exactly what God is doing through this story, through the last four chapters in the book of Revelation, but through our stories as well. We know that he has been making all things new, and one day he fully and finally will make all things new, and that's something that we want to praise God about. But in order for him to fully and finally make all things new here, He's got to rid this world of the darkness and brokenness and sin and evil and these powers and forces that war against our soul. And I'm thankful and grateful that he has the power to do that. Despite things looking grim around us, despite when you cut the news on, it looks like the world's falling apart. I praise God that he has the last word. I praise God that despite all the damage that's been done, that is being done, that our big idea for the sermon today is true. And it's God gets the final word on sin and evil. God gets the final word on sin and evil. Don't, don't cheer too much. You're going to get me too excited, and then you all, you all won't get out of here in time for lunch. And uh, I've never stopped preaching a message because I've wanted to. I just want you to be aware of that. I'm looking at a clock, and I know what time we're this, – this service lets out at noon, right? All right, good. I just want to make sure we're all, here, we're all in here together. God gets the final word on sin and evil. Now, a moment ago, I I referred to the book of Revelation as a story, and I think that's a good way to refer to it. Now, the book of Revelation can sometimes be confusing. There's a lot of images in there. There's a lot of um, different 
maybe like images that we don't really understand or things that feel really weird to us. And sometimes I think there's two camps uh, in the study of the book of Revelation. The, the first is people are like, everything means everything in the book of Revelation. Like this is that sign. This is what this means. This is what that means. And you've seen those people, amen, by a show of hands. You've noticed some of those people. And other people are like, it's all way too confusing. God gets the final word and amen. I'm not even gonna read the book of Revelation. We need to camp somewhere in the middle to figure out what does this actually say to us. Now, it's a story, which means it's a narrative. Now, one of the things that makes the book of Revelation a little bit difficult to interpret is that there is a seamless weaving of genre. Literary genres show up throughout scripture. Narrative is one of those genres. That means it's like a story, a story being told with characters, protagonists, antagonists, heroes, villains, good guys, bad guys, you know what I mean. Uh, There's also poetry uh, throughout the word and throughout the book of Revelation. There's apocalyptic literature, prophetic literature, and we uh, can't really figure out exactly what means what at what point here in the book of Revelation, but with a committed study like we're going to have today for just the next 25 minutes or so, everybody said amen, Uh, for the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to look at Revelation 20 verses uh, 7 through 15 to see what might this all mean. Now, a couple weeks ago, we saw the ultimate good guy, right? We saw the ultimate protagonist, the ultimate hero, the, white, the rider on the white horse, Jesus. We saw the ultimate good guy that's going to vanquish all the bad guys one day. And today, that's what we get to look at. We get to look at the vanquishing, the full final vanquishing of the bad guys, of this hierarchy of hell, this false trinity of Satan, the beast, the false prophet. And we're gonna see what God finally does with these people. And as we look at good guys and bad guys, we know the good guy, what's his name? Come on, y'all can't cheer because I told a joke and not cheer when I say, what's his name? Let's go. There we go. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, And the bad guys, and we're going to look at the bad guys for just a minute, right? So uh, this book of Revelation, we we have to know our Bibles to know what it means. About 70% of the book of Revelation is an allusion to the Old Testament or from the Old Testament. Uh, you see this kind of lens that we need to look through to understand what's going on in Revelation chapter 20, and it has pieces of Ezekiel 38 and 39, pieces of 2 Thessalonians 2, pieces of Daniel 9, really through, verse t- through chapter 12, pieces of Revelation 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, all kind of coming together, and we're wondering, like, what is this moment? And this is why, friends, it's far more important that you get God's word than you get my word. You need God's word. You need to read it for yourself. You need to study it for yourself to really know what's going on. If you just rely on good gospel preaching every Sunday, that's not gonna be enough. You can't only eat the the fuel that's gonna keep you going one day a week, amen? You gotta read it for yourself. So we see Babylon destroyed, right? Babylon is kind of this picture of the corrupt kingdoms and uh, corrupt kingdoms of the world. And next we see the beast and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire. We, We saw that happen beginning in chapter 17 and up through our passage today in chapter 20, we see how God is systematically dismantling all these things and we see God speaking. And as he speaks with the rider on the right white horse, right? His title is the word of God and with a word, uh, the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. With a word, this massive battle is happening and we're gonna see another word of judgment against all the powers of darkness. So we're gonna see three things today. Can everyone say three things? Three things today. We're going to see Satan defeated, we're going to see sin judged, and we're going to see death destroyed. Satan defeated, sin judged, and death destroyed as we look at Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 7. So, point number one is that Satan is defeated. Hallelujah. Let's look at verses 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. 
and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Previously, chapter 20 last week, we saw Pastor Tyler preach about this thousand-year reign, this millennium kingdom, right, where Jesus is literally ruling over the earth, and there is this massive time of, of joy and peace, and uh, Pastor Tyler preached how the Apostle John got a vision of Satan being thrown into the pit, being bound for a thousand years, uh, restricting his ability to deceive the nations, and then in verse 7, we see kind of a change, right? He's released, and you would think, like, after a thousand-year prison, sentence, perhaps there would be some softening to his heart. After a thousand year prison sentence, perhaps he would get out and say, you know what? I'm sorry, God. Like I, I, all this back and forth, this fighting we've had since creation, like I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. There's no obedience. There's no remorse. There's no gratitude. And, and parents, you know what this is like, right? I have four small children, uh, age seven and below. And if they sit on the couch on punishment for like 30 seconds, they're like, I'll never do anything bad again, dad. I promise. Just let me go outside. Satan's in prison for a thousand years. Verse seven, he gets let out. Right away, verse eight, what happens? He goes to deceive the nations. This speaks to how terribly and thoroughly hardened Satan's heart is toward God. People often ask the question, like, couldn't Satan repent and then God would forgive him? We see that his heart's condition is set, that he is set against God. He is the representative and the one who is commanding all of the powers and forces of darkness and evil. And friends, he is our enemy. He's released, and, and the messianic reign is still happening at this time, right? So the thousand-year reign is still happening right now as Satan is released in verse 7. And it says he's released to go and deceive people. How could people be deceived in the millennium kingdom? Millennials need Jesus. Don't say amen too loud. I'm a millennial as well, right? Like, so hold on. I mean people in the millennium kingdom need Jesus. That's what I meant to say, right? Humanity needs Jesus, even if circumstances are perfected, the human heart is still willingly deceived by the ultimate deceiver. Even if everything externally is peace and joy and kids are playing with snakes and wolves and lambs lay down and both get up like it says in Isaiah, still Satan's released and goes out to deceive humanity and people follow him. External circumstances cannot fix the internal problem of the human heart, friends. No matter how good your life is, your heart still needs Jesus. No matter how great your circumstances are, your life still needs Jesus. I want to read a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. I heard this, and it's not a quote, it's more like a, a paraphrase. He, he said something like this, like, I, I've searched and searched for things to satisfy my emptiness and solve my brokenness, and I've looked all over this world and nothing seems to work, and I love this. He says, the only conclusion I can come up with is because of this dissatisfaction I'm receiving from this world, I must have been created for another world. Hallelujah, right? There's another world that's coming, and what we need to see from Satan be deceiving the nations, and what we need to see from all of the things that we're seeing in the book of Revelation even, humanity will always need a savior. 
We will always need a savior. Circumstances won't fix it for us. External things going around won't fix it for us. No political party can fix it for us. No one in elected office can fix it for us. No amount of money can fix it for us. Only Jesus can fix it for us. So Satan, verse seven, he's released. Verse eight, he goes out to deceive the nations. What are these nations? They're called Gog and Magog. We could spend years trying to talk about who these nations really are. They show up in a battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And really, I think the most important thing for us to focus on as Gog and Magog show up in Revelation chapter 20 is that they are representative of all of the nations of the world that are against God. You're either for God or against God ultimately, right? There's always this dichotomy throughout the scriptures, right? People that give their life to God and people that do not. Now, we could trace their lineage back. Magog, we know, was Noah's grandson, and there's books written about where his people settled and where they're gonna come from and where these armies are gonna be in modern day uh, when the Battle of Armageddon comes, where they're gonna come from. That's not important for our time today, friends. What's important for our time today is to know that there are armies who can be deceived by Satan to fight against God. In verse nine, we see that these people of Gog and Magog are enormous. It says they cover the broad plain of the earth. They require the broad plain of the earth to make their way towards the holy city, that they are as uh, numerous as the grains of sand in the sea, which you don't have to Google it. I Googled it for you. Uh, scientists would suggest that there are 7.5 sextillion grains of sand in the sea. I have no idea what that number means, but I think it's a whole lot, right? So this army that's coming towards God's people, that's surrounding the beloved city is enormous. After Satan is released from the prison, deceiving people, deceiving many people to come and make war against God's people and God's city. They're coming from all four corners of the earth, it says, that they're coming from every direction to surround God's people. And it feels like it's, it's about to go really bad. It feels like it's over for God's people. How many, of you, how many of you have maybe ever felt surrounded by forces of evil, forces of darkness, where you look around and you see enemies all around you? You see no hope in sight. Satan's released from prison sentence of a thousand years, and this is what the people of God say, and I just thank God that we can get to verse nine where it says, fire came down from heaven and consumed Satan's army. Like that, God's people are surrounded, but like that, God says no. No, it's not going to happen. I have the last word on Satan. I have the last word that even though it may, be, it may appear that all hope is lost and you're, and you're surrounded, God's people ultimately get to win the victory with God. And we don't even fight. It's amazing that there's not even like, a, that God's people don't even have a part to play in this battle. It says God spoke and fire came down from heaven and fully and finally vanquished Satan. And God says in verse 10, enough is enough, Satan. That's it. You are going to be cast into the lake of fire and sulfur. And I praise God he is not mentioned again throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. So you won't have to hear about Satan one more time throughout the rest of this sermon series because we get to see all that God is making new. We see that God casts Satan into the lake of fire and sulfur where his buddies, the beast and the false prophet are. It's the end of the end, his final mention. And we see that he's tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, we could also spend a lot of time talking about what tormented day and night forever and ever means. There's a lot of popular theories about hell, whether it's something called eternal conscious torment or annihilationism where you just cease to exist. That's not really for our time together today. The Bible says tormented day and night forever and ever, and I want to believe that that's what God is doing to Satan, the beast, and false prophet. So it's fully and finally over in Revelation chapter 20. Satan's gone. Not just in prison, gone in the lake of fire and sulfur. What a day that'll be. 
and followers of Jesus, we are to rejoice because we know this is coming. We are to rejoice because Satan knows this is coming. We are to rejoice that, you know, you've heard preachers say, like, if the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. That's right. He knows what's coming, right? That he's living in a house that he knows is not his. That one day he's going to be fully vanquished. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul writes this beautiful letter to the church in Ephesus, and, and he talks to them about who you are in Christ in chapters 1 through 3, how you put on the new self in chapter 4, what holy relationships are supposed to look like in chapters 5 and 6, and at the end of chapter 6, he talks about this armor that we're to wear as believers, and why do we need this armor? Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. No one in this room is each other's ultimate enemy. No amens for that. Y'all got some grudges against each other in this room. Like, oh, he took my parking spot today. You don't know what's going on. Like, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. But we wrestle against rulers and spiritual forces and princes and principalities, cosmic forces. We're wrestling against something that is going to be defeated. But it hasn't been fully defeated yet, has it? We're praising God about it. We're saying amen and hallelujah today. But some of us have been fighting for a long time. Some of us have been struggling for a long time. You've been resisting the devil and he's been fleeing from you. You've been wielding the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which I love that the Bible never calls the word of God the Bible. It's Jesus, the word of God become flesh, the word of God. That's his title. It's him and he gives himself to us through this and in so many other ways. You've been resisting the devil's schemes. And I, and I know um, it could be easy to maybe falsely shout amen and hallelujah today when you're like, my life is a mess Monday through Saturday. Sunday is like the only good time I have of the week where I hear of this hope that I'm supposed to have, but I don't always feel that hope. Sometimes my circumstances seem pretty wild. Sometimes it feels like I'm the one in prison and the devil's the one holding my keys. If you've been walking this way or fighting this battle, enduring this struggle for a long time, the book of Revelation is for you. This is what John was doing. He was writing this letter, receiving this vision, this revelation from heaven to give to people on earth. Why? So that we could have hope. Hope that it is going to end one day. Hope that whatever we're going through, if it is negative and authored by Satan, will not have the last word. The final chapter of whatever negativity you're going through, if you are in Christ. Everybody say, if I'm in Christ. The final word for your life is victory. The final word for your life is freedom. Freedom from these people and, and forces and cosmic powers that have been fighting against you. And because of this future freedom, you can have real freedom today. Because you know it's coming, you can walk in freedom today. Now, friends, I'm not here to try to tell you, like, uh, if you just believe it, everything's going to get better. No, your circumstances might actually get worse. And that, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to dictate how many amens we get for the rest of the time together today, but it's truth. Let's go, brother. I, I appreciate you. Thank you. I've heard it said once that anything that draws you to your knees is a blessing. So because of this future freedom, we know we can experience liberty today because Satan is defeated. What's the next thing that God 
fights against, that he wars against in Revelation chapter 20. We see Satan defeated. The next thing we see is that sin is judged. Satan is defeated. Sin is judged. Let's pick up in verses 11, 12, 13, and 15. We're going to come back to, to verse 14. Verse 11 says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Secondly, we see that sin is judged. After John's vision of Satan being cast into the lake of fire, it says he gets a vision of this throne and him who's seated on it. Now, he doesn't name who's seated on it, but we can see a great throne, a white throne, and a very authoritative throne and know exactly who is seated on it, right? We know that this is God or specifically perhaps Jesus, but ultimately this throne is divine. This throne is wielding ultimate authority and ultimate sovereignty. The glory and majesty of this throne is so terrifying that even creation begins to flee from it, but there's nowhere to go at this point. There's nowhere to run at this point. This is the great white throne judgment where all the deeds of the earth are going to be judged at this point. John says he sees standing there literally every person ever. He says, all people, great and small. And anytime you see this contrast in biblical literature, it's meant to kind of develop a span so that you can see that everything that falls in the middle of it is found here. Great and small, rich and poor, famous or nameless. Everybody is standing here before this great white throne. Everybody is going to be there. John says that the, the sea gave up their dead. Death and Hades gave up their dead. Now, in Jewish tradition, if you died at sea, you were kept at sea until the time of judgment. If you died, on land, you were kept at death and Hades or the grave until your time of judgment. So don't try to read too much into it. I mean, Daniel's got some weird stuff to say about it. You can definitely read into that if you want, or we can talk after service. But, but ultimately, the sea, death, and Hades are holding places until this time of great white throne of judgment. Literally every person ever. A sea of humanity. Like a Taylor Swift concert in Detroit. I saw people sleeping outside to see her sing. Now, she could sing, and that looked like a sea of humanity. Think about maybe the largest crowd you've ever been in. Maybe a game at the big house. Go Bucks. <laughs> maybe a, a soccer match or maybe trying to get into the mall on Black Friday, right? Like a, just a sea of humanity. This is the sea of all humanity. Everybody ever is here. There's a final leveling of status that's happening. Great and small, everybody is here. John says why this crowd is here, it's to be judged. Sin is judged. Every one of them, according to what they've done. Now this isn't just a story, this is again, narrative which has characters in it which tells a true story. That it's no longer a scene of a battle, it's a scene of a courtroom now. And everybody has to stand. It says this judgment happens through some books. The first book contains everything that everybody has ever done. That exists. 
Jesus talks about this, right? That, that one day you'll have to give account for everything that you've said and done while you were on the earth. And I don't know about you, but like that, the existence of that makes my knees a little weak. I know my sin. It's ever before me, like David, where he says, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. But he did not only sin against God, did he? And John talks about another book, too. So it's not just the book of everything that I've ever said and done. It's, it's a book called the Book of Life. And it's mentioned six times throughout, the, throughout Revelation. And we, what we see here in chapter 20, it's not so much about what was done. It's about who was in it. Actions aren't recorded in this book. Names are recorded in this book. And it says that everyone who was written in this book was not thrown into the lake of fire. Everyone else was. Can somebody say everyone else? So, so what is this book of life and who gets to have their name written in it? If we jump ahead a, a chapter, in chapter 21, it, it calls the book something different. It calls it the Lamb's book of life. It's not just a book of life, but it's someone's book of life. It's the Lamb's book of life. So all of those that belong to Jesus Christ by grace through faith, hallelujah, your name is written into that book of life before you cheer Everyone else's that's not in that book is judged for their sin. So what we see is that sin can be judged in two ways. Everybody say two ways. Either your sin can be judged with all of humanity, all of everybody who's ever lived at the great white throne judgment where a book will be open of everything you've ever thought, said, or done. And you will be judged there. And if your name is not found written in the book of life at that moment, you will be cast into the lake of fire. That's what it says. Don't get mad at me, get mad at God, right? That's, this is what he says. So your sin can be judged at this judgment seat or the other option, the second option, is that your sin got judged on the cross of Christ where all of God's wrath and fury, completely righteous, was poured out for the sins of all of those whose name would be written in the book of life so that when you stand before the great white throne, there is no more judgment left for you because Christ took all of your judgment, all of your penalty, all of your pain, all of your separateness from God was taken in that moment on the cross by Jesus Christ where your sins, if your name is written in the book of life, if by grace through faith you've repented of your sin and called upon Jesus' name, as your Lord and your Savior, that he's yours forever and you're his forever, and you get away from that judgment. So have you found that freedom? How many of you have ever done something knowing it's gonna catch up to you one day? How many of you have something in your mind when I said that but won't dare raise your hand? <laughs> The cross of Christ can take that, can take that catching up from you. It's what Jesus wanted to do for you because all those things you've thought and said and done, you know what Jesus looks at? You, and he wants you still. God loves you. He also likes you and like wants to be around you. That's why he gave Jesus. I just wanna tell one quick story um, and we'll get into our third point. Now, I heard a preacher tell this story about a farmer who had his field next to a little country church. 
And this farmer was antagonistic toward God and antagonistic toward the church. So every Sunday morning when business shut down in these little country towns, right, where everybody's going to church, the farmer's not. He's tilling his field. He's running his machinery. He's kicking up a bunch of dust and making life kind of miserable for those that are in church at this little country church on Sunday mornings. He's out there raising a ruckus and people are trying to sing praise, trying to hear the word. And the people in the church, they get pretty upset about it. They're like, he's out here making it hard on us. Does he not care about God or does he hate God? Or we, we gotta do something about this. We gotta stop him from doing these things that are making it harder for us to worship God. So they told the pastor, a constituency of people from the congregation told the pastor and said, pastor, we need to do something about this farmer who's antagonistic toward God and toward the church. And I think maybe we should start a prayer meeting and pray that because of all this work he's been doing on Sunday mornings, that he would have a bad harvest come this fall, that we should pray curses against him. And the pastor says, I think we should just thank God that he doesn't settle all of his accounts in October. That just because you've done something bad or wrong for a while, and people may even be praying against you, that God doesn't settle all of his accounts when man thinks the accounts should be settled. That God settles all of his accounts. One day he will settle all of his accounts. And your account can either be settled at this great white throne of judgment or your account can be settled at the cross of Christ. And if I could just give you one encouragement in line with the story. Don't wait till October. Settle your account with God today. Settle your account with Jesus right now, today. You can begin to pray right now. Don't even listen to the rest of the stuff I have to say today. Please, that you have permission to turn off and not listen to the preacher. How many times do you get that? Right. Don't pull your phone out, right? Like, unless you're gonna repent on Instagram, go for it, right? Do it. <laughs> but you need to meet with him today because he is gonna settle all of his account. Satan's defeated, sin is judged. Point three, we see death is destroyed. Verse 14 says this. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Throughout the book of Revelation, death and Hades are mentioned a few times. In chapter one, it's a, a place that Jesus has the key to, right? The key to death is in Jesus' hands, and he unlocks it and frees those held captive. In chapter six, where they're, they're pictured as soldiers or, or riding on war horses, uh, slaying wide swaths of humanity with swords of famine and, and pestilence. And then in, in our chapter today, we see them as kind of a holding place, a, a realm of the dead where they reside until judgment. And and then we see God forcing the sea, death, and Hades to give up all of those who have been held captive so they can be judged individually. Everyone will give an account, but ultimately, so death and Hades themselves get judged. So literally, death gets judged. Not just the judgment put upon people, but death gets judged. And I think in, in this country specifically, we tend to like make peace with death. You know, the, the great theologian Forrest Gump said, dying's just a part of living. Or, you know, maybe like in a, in a sports realm, if there's a team that's just way better than your team all the time, and you just know they're going to win. You know, they may win a couple games here and there, but you know ultimately you're just going to have to bow to them because they're going to win. You guys don't know, living in Metro Detroit, you don't know what that feels like at all. Um, <laughs> to concede victory to another team all the time. I'm from Chicago, so I can say this. I feel the same way. Or, or maybe it's um, not as funny as that, where you're approaching the end of your life and you just say, 
it's coming, so I'm not gonna fight it. I'm just gonna make peace with it, and it's gonna be okay. And yeah, it is coming for everybody individually, but that, that kind of making peace with, coming to terms with idea of death, friends, that's anti-biblical and anti-gospel. You have victory over death. Yes, death will come to our body, but you have victory, full, final victory over death, that there is no second death for those whose names are found in the Lamb's book of life. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul calls death the last enemy. It's not a neutral force. It's not a blessing. It is an enemy, and it is God's enemy, and God does not make peace with death. God does not come to terms with death. God does not say death is just some sort of inevitable reality. No, he says death itself, death and Hades are plunged into the lake of fire forever, the second death, the final death. A few verses later in Revelation chapter 21, the worship team is going to come back up to the stage now. They're going to lead us in a, in a final song as we wrap up here today. A few verses later in Revelation 21, in, in verse 4, it, it says this. He will wipe away every tear. Amen. Hallelujah. From their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Church, this is God's final word on Satan, sin, and death. Satan is defeated. Sin is judged. It will be judged. And we've got to make peace with that. We either make peace with Jesus and the cross, or we make peace with my sin will be judged one day, and I will not feel very peaceful on that day. And death is destroyed forever. This is God's authoritative word. This is God's final word. So Christian, I pray that today you receive the hope and encouragement of the future that the apostle John gave us a vision from heaven of the future, knowing Satan will be defeated. Sin will be judged. Death will be destroyed ultimately. And friends, I pray that today, if your circumstances don't feel that way, if you don't feel like you're able to rejoice over that right now, the, the worship team is going to lead us in a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. If the circumstances in your life need altering, the altar is a great place to have that happen. Now, you don't have to come up here necessarily and, and fall down on your face, but you certainly can. By all means, come up here, get on your knees, pray, ask Jesus to fix whatever's going on in your life. Ask Jesus to forgive you of the things that you've been holding on to that you can't seem to let go of because sin will be judged. Why not have it judged on the cross of Christ where Jesus takes the penalty? But you can do it right in your seat. You can do it out in the lobby. You can do it wherever you want. But as the worship team leads us, Please don't let this just be a song. Let this be the cry of your heart. That as we come to the altar where Jesus wants us. Somebody say, Jesus wants me. Father, we trust you. Because you've been good all the days of our life. Hallelujah. Even when it doesn't feel that way, you've been good. And I pray that as we sing these lyrics, as we hear these lyrics perhaps sung over us, as it opens with, are you hurting and broken within? Yes, we are, because we need Jesus. Just like C.S. Lewis said, he couldn't find it, we can't either, because we're created for a different world. Just like your word says that sin is judged, Jesus, we need that. We need the cross of Christ. We need all of our sin to be judged there so we can experience freedom, true freedom. And I pray that as we worship and as we leave this place, but never from your presence, that we would receive you, Jesus, as the one who wants us, as the one who loves us, as the one who sees us, as the one who knows us, yes, everything about us, and as the one who looked at each and every one of us and said, 
you, him, her. I want you. Come close to me and let's do business together. So we pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would do just that. Repentance is not a man-made thing. It comes from heaven. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Empower us to do that, that we may repent of our sins, that we may turn around, that we may receive Jesus as our Savior, and we may begin to walk in accordance with all that he has for our life. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Together we say amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.